Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today we are in Revelation chapter 20, and our topic is quite controversial. Not every church, not every Christian, not every scholar agrees with our topic today. And we're going to examine what the Bible says about the millennial kingdom of Christ, the thousand-year reign. And we're going to tackle tough questions today. We're going to talk about, has this kingdom already taken place, or is it yet to come? The Bible calls it a thousand-year reign. Does that mean it's literally a thousand years? The Bible says that Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years, then released. Then he's going to deceive some at that time. Who are those that Satan will deceive? We're going to answer these questions and many more on today's episode of Awakened to Grace. Today we're going to be in Revelation 20. For those of you who perhaps you've not been with us in our journey of Revelation, let me just very quickly give you a summary of where we have been and where we are right now today. There are only three Sundays left of our 24 sermon series on Revelation. So last year, for eight weeks throughout the summer, We studied the seven churches of Revelation. We invested eight weeks in chapters one through three and broke down all seven churches and not only their their literal and physical meaning of Asia Minor then and not only their historical context to what the Bible days were, but also their prophetic context and what it means to Christians today. You can find that series on our mobile app, Awakened to Grace, or our website, or out in the lobby. And it was called The Seven Churches of Revelation, Eight Sermons. Then this summer, we picked back up in chapter 4, and we covered chapters 4 to chapters 12 in a series called Things to Come. And that was eight sermons. Verse by verse, exposition, chapter by chapter, walking our way through Revelation. Now we're in a series called All Things New, and it's the final eight sermons of Revelation, chapters 13 through 22. Today is sermon number 22 in our series. It's important to me to walk you through the Bible verse by verse, because when we study the Bible verse by verse, we learn it as the Bible intends, line upon line, precept, Upon precept. And like putting a massive jigsaw puzzle together, when you study it verse by verse and you take your time, then all of the pieces begin to take shape. And then you can really see the picture of what God is painting for us. So we've invested many weeks in the book of Revelation. And as we make our way toward the end, if you've missed certain sermons, I encourage you to go back. Download Awakened to Grace and go back and listen. And I believe the Lord will teach you many things as he's teaching me many things. Today I come to one of the most difficult portions of Revelation. And I have a very clear goal in mind today. 
My goal is to show you the thread of Scripture and how there are certain patterns to the book of Revelation. We've said that throughout the entire series. If you can locate patterns, then you can understand more clearly what God is saying through this very mysterious book. It's very disheartening to me when Christians throw up their hands and go, well, I don't understand Revelation and I never will understand it. No, my friend, Revelation is as much the word of God as the book of Psalms or the book of John or the book of Romans. And as a matter of fact, Revelation is the only book of the 66 books of the Bible that promises a a blessing of God to those who study its pages. God desires us to know what he says in this wonderful book. You can understand it. What you can't do is skip around and jump from here and jump from there and then try to make it all make sense. No, I believe, so my goal today, and this is my personal belief, my goal today is to show you why I believe that Revelation is in perfect chronological order. So, if you're going to take notes today, we're going to cover three very large events. And I'm going to try to do it in a timely manner. So you, you pray for me that the Lord will keep me on track. We ended our last session in chapter 19 with the initiation of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The significance of that is that who were the 24 elders, which I have tried to prove with you a scripture that I believe is the church of Jesus Christ from the day of Pentecost to the rapture of the church, to the harpazo. That is the 24 elders. After the midway point of chapter 19, we never see the 24 elders mentioned again. It then becomes the bride of Christ. Why? Because I believe that the church represents, is represented by those 24 elders. And then the 24 elders then becomes the bride of Christ, which initiates the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage feast after Christ takes his bride, who is the church. Then, and that's where we stopped. Now we're going to pick up in chapter 19 with verse 10 and 11, and we're going to see the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a thread that I want to show you between the second coming, what we call the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign, and the great white throne judgment. And my goal is to show you how John puts into the scriptures by the leading of the Holy Spirit a thread that I believe proves these are events that happen in a sequence. Okay, So let's begin, Caleb, please. Chapter 19, with the coming of Christ. This is chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So as you read the end of chapter 19, and you read how, excuse me, how awful, how devastating the battle of Armageddon ends, When you read the carnage that is going to take place, when we go to chapter 20 and you see humanity judged by God Almighty in the great white throne judgment and those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life are literally 
thrown into the lake of fire. Something within your heart may say, but that's not fair. No. Let me remind you today of the word of God. The judgments of God are just and they are righteous. They are righteous and no human being will ever be able to stand before God in judgment and say, you are unfair. Because the word declares Christ is righteous and just in all of his judgments. Friends, if you should stand before the Lord Jesus Christ apart from his grace, you will have no excuse. And you'll have no attorney. You'll have no defense. And friends, I want you to hear my pastoral and my heart today, my biblical heart today. You will have no appeal. The judgment will be final, as we'll see today. Christ is righteous in his judgments. That's why we are to hear the word of God today. Can we say amen to that? Continue, please. Verse 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So let's pause right there. Lord, help me. I'm never going to get through this. Help me. Oh, my. Why does he have eyes of flame of fire? Because he sees everything. His eyes penetrate your life and my life. He knows every secret. He knows every shameful thing. He knows every secret thing. He knows everything about your thought life. He knows every single thing about us. And if anything in your human heart today says, God doesn't know this. No, my friend, hear the word of God. His eyes are as a flame of fire and he sees it all. Why is there a name that no one knows but himself? Let me tell you, if you want a great study of the Bible, go through the entire Bible and study the names of Jesus. And you know what we find here in the closing chapters of the Bible? Even after you study all of the names of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot exhaust the name of Jesus because when he comes, there's a name that no one even knows except himself. What does that mean? What it does is it reinforces he is the name above every other name that at his name alone must men be saved. Amen? Amen. You'll never exhaust it. Continue, please. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The word of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, that was his first coming as a baby in Bethlehem. (laughs) But he's coming again. The word of God is coming again. Amen? Describe him, please, Caleb. Verse 14, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. King of kings and Lord of lords. And who is coming with Christ? The church. How are we dressed? Arrayed in white and pure linens. 
Friends, let me tell you, if you're sitting in this building today, you're watching online today, and you've got a past, you've got shameful things in your life, you've got things you're not proud of, you've got things that bring regret and things that bring guilt to you, let me tell you, you can trade those old tattered garments. You can trade those garments stained with sin, and you can trade them for garments of pure white today. Amen? And how are we going to be clothed? Chapter 19, verse 8, we are going to be given garments that are dazzling white. Amazing. When you think about the sin of our lives and how Christ is going to make us pure and make us white. Oh, what a trade. Amen. So now we go to chapter 20. I'm going to go to chapter 20, Caleb. And this is the coming of Christ, which we studied in chapter 14, the treading of the winepress, the battle of Armageddon. You can go back and re-listen to that. For sake of time today, I want to get into what the Bible calls the millennial kingdom. Now, churches are interesting. <clears throat> it's hard to get churches to agree on things. You realize that? <clears throat> I like to say, if you put two pastors in a room, you'll walk away with three opinions. Uh, it's very hard to get people to see eye to eye on the Bible. But there's one thing that every single Christian, no matter what branch, no matter what denomination, no matter what background or theology, there's one thing that every single Christian agrees on. And that's the fact that Christ will literally and physically come back in a second coming and Christ wins the war. Okay? Every Christian agrees on that. Now we're getting into some dicey things. Things that not every Christian agrees with. You may be sitting today listening and you may have either A, never heard of the millennium kingdom or the thousand year reign of Christ. Or you may come from a church background that rejected that view. They don't believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. My goal today is to try to show you why I believe so strongly in an actual thousand-year reign of Christ. Our brothers and our sisters who do not believe in a literal thousand-year Christ, they are called millennials. Uh, they don't... They don't believe it's going to happen. I, I scratch my head at that because, as I'm going to show you today, I think Scripture is pretty clear in it. I heard of one man one time, a Bible teacher, and he announced to his class, who believes strongly in the millennium, <clears throat> that he was an all millennium. And they were stunned. And everybody thought, what in the world? And he said one day he was having a particular tough week and he broke open the Bible in Isaiah 11 and began to read about the millennium kingdom and how wonderful it's going to be. And he leaned back in his chair and he went, ah, the millennium. <laughs> so in that sense, all Christians should be all millennium. But anyway, that's not the point. A few mercy laughs. I appreciate that. Okay, now... <clears throat> There are certain believers who reject the idea of a thousand-year reign. If you're going to take notes this morning, I want to show you 
Number one, why the millennium is important, why I believe it's literal, and number two, why I believe it's the sequence of Scripture. So what is the purpose of a thousand-year reign of Jesus? Now, friends, let's understand. The Bible teaches very consistently Satan is the God of this world. When did Satan become the God of this world? God delegated authority to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. All of a sudden, Satan shows up. He deceives Eve, but Adam rebels. Adam handed over to Satan the authority of the world. Therefore, today, Satan is the God of this world. World. When Satan presented the kingdoms before Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and offered him the kingdoms of this world, why could Satan do that? Because he's the God of this world. If you want a fascinating study, read the book of Joshua parallel to the book of Revelation. And just like Canaan land was filled with enemies of God, enemies of Israel, just like Jericho was filled, I'm sorry, Canaan was filled with Jericho and with the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all of these enemies of God, all these usurpers of God, so the world is today. And when Christ comes, after the battle of Armageddon, chapter 19... And Christ overthrows all of his enemies. Christ is going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And there are 1,800 scriptures in your Bible that point to the millennial kingdom. It is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his son, Jesus Christ. That he will sit on the throne of David and that he will rule the nations. And you know what's going to be so beautiful about this thousand year reign of Christ? You know what's so beautiful about the millennial kingdom? Is that Christ is going to make all things new. And what was in the small garden of Eden, the entire earth is going to be a garden of Eden. And do you know what that means for us as believers? See, the Bible teaches over and over. It is reinforced, especially in Revelation 4, in Revelation 5, in Revelation 19. It's reinforced over and over. Believers are going to rule and we're going to reign with Jesus Christ on the earth. And Do you know what the significance of that is? That we're going to reign with Christ on the earth? Friends, do you know why you don't want to die? Let me tell you the real reason. It's not just the unknown. You want me to tell you why you don't want to die? It's because you were never designed to die. That's why when you cut yourself, your body heals itself. You were never designed to die. What brought death? Sin. And when the millennial reign of Christ is established, all sin will be gone off the earth. The curse will be reversed. Can you imagine? See, people, oh, this breaks my heart as a pastor. People think that when we, that when, when Christ comes back, people have this idea that we're just going to float on a cloud. And I've literally, with my ears, I've heard people say, I think heaven's going to be so boring. Then you don't read your Bible. Then you have no idea what's going on. And my goal today is to show you 
See, in my small thinking, I used to think Christ is going to come back. The battle of Armageddon will happen. Christ will come back. And then it's just eternity. No. Do you know that God has a full agenda after the coming of Christ? There's going to be the thousand-year reign of Christ. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove it with Scripture today. After the thousand-year reign of Christ is the great white throne judgment. After the great white throne judgment, God's going to make the heavens new. He's going to make the earth new. There's going to be a new Jerusalem. We'll get into all that next week. And then, after all of that, chapter 22, then is what we call eternity. The final state. But friends, there's a whole lot more coming. And some of you are going to be lost as can be, having no idea what's happening because you don't know the Word of God. Study it. Read it. Because it's going to tell you what's coming next. God has a full and robust agenda. And I want to know what God's agenda is. Don't you? So, my goodness, where am I? The millennial reign. What's the real purpose of it? It's to fulfill the promise to Christ of his kingdom. His kingdom. That's what it means when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's kingdom comes inside our hearts. These people who were baptized today, that's the kingdom of God being exercised. This house of worship today, the kingdom of God rules and reigns in this house. But does it in this city? Absolutely not. The kingdom may come to your heart. The kingdom may reign in your heart. But does it reign in our nation? Absolutely not. But when Christ sets up his kingdom, righteousness will reign. See, people think we're going to be so bored. No. Do you know? See, the Bible teaches there's going to be responsibilities given out. There are going to be cities in the millennial kingdom. Some will be rulers of five cities, some ten cities. There's going to be, uh, see, I believe with all my heart, I believe that what God has gifted us to do here on this earth, we'll do in eternity and we'll do in the millennial kingdom. I love to write. I love to write books. I believe I'll write books in the millennial kingdom. I believe people who are architects, I believe they'll build in the millennial kingdom. I think people who plan cities and do, do city management and urban development, I think they'll do that in the millennial kingdom. I think people who, who are skilled at this, skill, uh, I mean, the, the, there'll be some jobs that won't be needed. Funeral directors won't be needed. <laughs> Doctors won't be needed. <laughs> there'll be some things like that we won't need. But no, I believe that things that God puts in our heart, I believe artists will be artists in the kingdom. Singers will be singers in the kingdom. I believe that. But do you know what the difference is going to be? Let me ask you a question. Could you imagine doing what you love and what you're gifted at? Could you imagine doing it without ever getting tired or ever getting exhausted? Could you imagine doing what you love and doing what you're good at without the need of money? See all these crazy socialists? See, they're trying to do that here on this. It never happened that way. Only the millennial kingdom will bring peace and prosperity. But can you imagine doing what you love without working for money, without the need of money? Let me ask you, can you imagine doing what you love 
without any trace of sin in you or in creation. Friends, there'll be no sin in our food. There'll be no curse in our, in our food, in our ground. There'll be no curse. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Now, why do I believe that the millennial is literal? There is a thread through Revelation that I want you to take note of. <clears throat> 32 times in the book, John records the phrase, Then I saw. Now, that's significant. Then I saw. Then I saw. Then I saw. Do you know what that speaks to me? It speaks of sequence of events. So, all Christians agree on the second coming. Chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw the heavens open up. Isn't it interesting that in chapter 4, the heavens opened to let John in, but in chapter 19, the heavens opened to let Christ out? So in chapter 19, verse 11, all Christians agree, then I saw Christ's return. Okay? Then why do not all the Christians agree with the next sequence of events? Chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw Satan bound for a thousand years. Now while the teaching of the millennium is all over Scripture, particularly in Isaiah, in Daniel, in Ezekiel, the last many chapters of Ezekiel in the 40s, uh, especially my favorite text on the millennium is Isaiah chapter 11. There are many, many, 1,800 Scriptures that point to it. But only in Revelation 20 does it give the definitive time, which is 1,000 years. Now, some of my brothers in the Lord will argue that that is not a literal thousand years. Let me just tell you the kind of pastor you have. I take God's word literal. I am the most literal person about the Bible that you'll ever meet. When the Bible says that the New Jerusalem is of streets of gold, guess what it is? Streets of gold. It's not an allegory. It is streets of gold. Someone asked me one time, why streets of gold? You know why I think? Because the most valuable thing on the earth is the least valuable thing in heaven. I take God's word literal. And if you're a student, if you're a serious student of the Bible, <clears throat> what you'll notice in Revelation is all of the numbers are literal numbers. When the Bible says 144,000 sealed Jews, how many is that? 144,000. 12,000 from each tribe. When the Bible says that the, that the sting of those locusts is going to be five months, how long is that? That's five months. I mean, you don't have to be a scholar to figure this stuff out. When the Bible says that the tribulation period is seven years, how long is that? Seven years. And when the Bible talks about the last three and a half years, the Holy Spirit wants us to get the point so much across that, do you know how many times he calls it? He calls it... He calls it 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. He calls it 1,260 days. How long is that? Three and a half years. And just so we definitely get it, he even throws in a little bit of a riddle. And he calls it time, times, and half a time. And what does that mean? Three and a half years. And those are literal numbers. So why would we not think that the thousand 
years is not a literal number. So my brothers who argue that it is figurative, not literal, I scratch my head at that because there's so much overwhelming evidence throughout Revelation that is literal. Then some try to say that the thousand-year reign happened in the past. What? Okay. So follow my logic here. 32 times John writes, Then I saw. In other words, they are fresh visions. And in my interpretation of the Bible, they are sequences of events. So, the second coming happens, chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open. Now we flow into chapter 20. We're going to see, then I saw the millennial reign of Christ. Then we're going to close today with verse 11 of chapter 20. Then I saw the great white throne judgment. Friends, what that tells me as a student of God's word, what that tells me is after the second coming of Christ is then the thousand year reign of Christ and then the great white throne judgment. Caleb, continue to take us there. Are you guys getting anything out of this today? Boy, it's a lot of stuff. All right, let's go. Oh, I got to go. Okay. I'm running out of time, folks. All right, here we go. Then I saw... Uh Uh-oh. Redo. There we go. There we go. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. So so I I, got to point this out, and then we really got to pedal to the metal. (laughs) Now, this is important. See, a lot of people, they got bad theology. They think... That Satan and Jesus are on the same playing field. Friends, that's horrible theology. Who binds Satan in this text? Not Jesus. Just an angel. Friends, Satan is no match for the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Satan was created by the Lord Jesus Christ. And these horrible views that Satan and Jesus are are on the same playing field, that's not biblical. Jesus doesn't even bother with that ancient serpent. He dispatches an angel to take care of it. Amen? Go on. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. So, so just real quick, because uh, this is important. What are these thrones? Remember what Jesus said in the Gospels? Should you not be able to settle the disputes of life? Because you are going to judge angels and judge the nations. This is what he refers to in the millennial kingdom. And then he says, again, my brothers who argue that the millennium has already passed. What? The ones who were raised to life, these tribulation martyrs, they did not receive the mark of the beast in their hand or their forehead. So how can that be if the mark of the beast has not come upon the world? It doesn't make sense to me if you follow the simple progression of Scripture. Continue. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. 
The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Okay, so let's deal with this real quick. What is this, the rest did not come to life for a thousand years? Understand the resurrections of the Bible. Real quick, can I give you just a quick crash course? If you're going to take notes, jot it down. The Bible calls Christ the first fruits, right? He was the first in this resurrection of a glorified body. When will the New Testament church be resurrected? Well, those who have already died in the Lord will be resurrected at the rapture, at the harpazo. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then those who are <clears throat> those who have died, the, the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. We who are alive and remain, we shall be called up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. So we who are alive, if we are raptured, we'll receive a glorified body. We'll never taste death. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll receive a glorified body. Now, the next resurrection is going to be in this millennial kingdom. And who is that? That's tribulation saints. Remember, we've said through the whole study, different categories of people. You have the church. You have Israel. You have Old Testament saints. You have uh, uh, the angels. You have the four living creatures. And uh, so there's many categories throughout Revelation. Look for patterns. And then it makes sense. So tribulation saints... Those who refuse to take the mark, those who were killed for the word of God, John says, will be raised to life during the millennium. Who are these people who's raised after the millennium? Those are Old Testament saints. Go back to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through about 8 or 11. Just read verses 1 through 11, and that will explain the Old Testament saints and how Daniel prophesied their resurrection. So, New Testament saints resurrected at the rapture of Christ. Tribulation saints resurrected at the beginning of the millennium. Old Testament saints resurrected at the end of the millennium. And I can't pass this up. What does it mean that the second death will not harm you? We'll close with that today. The second death. See, everyone that is not born again, when you die, everyone dies a physical death. That's when your soul detaches from your body. That's the first death. Everyone dies that, believer and non-believer alike. But see, if you're born again, you'll never die a second death. And you know what the second death is? That's when your soul is forever departed from God. That's where you will never have hope again. That's why the Bible says it is appointed to man to die once. And after this, the judgment. You know what that really means? You have one opportunity to die right. You have one opportunity to be right with God. And so if you're born once, you're going to die twice. If you're born of your mother into this physical realm, you'll die twice. You'll die a physical death. You'll die a spiritual death. But if you're born twice, if you're born of your mother's womb, but then you're born again by the Spirit of God, Friends, you'll only die once. Amen. And when it says that the second death will not harm them, you know what the literal meaning of that? It means the second death won't even recognize you. 
It means the second death will pass over you. When the Israelites put the blood over the doorpost of their home in the book of Exodus, when the death angel came upon the land of Egypt, what does the Bible say that the death angel did when it saw the blood? It passed over. (laughs) And you know what will happen to born again believers? That second death will pass over. Friends, it won't even see you. It won't even recognize you because we will be clothed in the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Continue on. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. So real quick. So again, be sensitive to patterns. Six times in chapter 20, he says a thousand years. You should circle it all six times. Six times. Friends, the Bible wants us to take this literal. Now... Continue on, Caleb. He gathered them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So this is very complicated. Oh, gosh. Will you give me just a little more time than normal? Can I have a little more time to explain this? We, uh, man, you know, you know what we always say? When the Holy Ghost moves in the sanctuary, the devil's moving back in kids' church. So we need to be sensitive to our kids' church staff today. The kids will be hanging from the ceiling. I mean, not hanging. I mean, they'll be swinging. That's what I said. They'll be swinging. We have better staff than that, I hope. Well, Satan got busy. (laughs) Lord Jesus, take the wheel. Okay. So, who are these that are going to be deceived? Now, that's a major question. You know, when I got serious about really diving into this idea of the Millennium Kingdom years ago, It really disturbed me. I thought, Lord, could I follow you all the days of my life and then end at the end of the millennium and be deceived by Satan? And you know what I felt the Holy Spirit tell me? I felt the Holy Spirit say, Chad, remember the earth. Remember, the curse is reversed. These are perfect conditions. There's not a trace of sin until Satan is released in this final moment. And I felt the Lord say, Chad, if you followed me in this sin-ridden world, you will absolutely follow me in the millennial kingdom. So who are these that's going to be deceived? Let me tell you what scholars think. So we who either, we were either raptured with a glorified body, or we had passed and we were resurrected with a glorified body. Either way. You and I will have glorified bodies in the thousand-year millennium reign with Christ. Now, what did Christ teach? 
Is there marriage in heaven? No. Boy, that makes Sadie so mad. Sadie says, so I spent my whole life working on you, and then we get to heaven and we're not married. That really makes her furious. But anyways, she can take that up with the Lord. But Jesus said, no, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. We're going to be like the angels. There'll be no need for marriage. So there's not going to be that desire in us. So who are these that's going to be deceived? Well, Isaiah talks about children being born into the millennial kingdom. Who are these children? Well, there's going to be numerous people, untold numbers, who's going to survive the seven-year tribulation, and they'll enter into the millennial kingdom. Now, those who took the mark, they will not enter. See, that's what Jesus meant in the book of Matthew when he separates the sheep from the goats. No. But those who are true to Jesus, they're going to enter the kingdom. And they're going to enter the millennial kingdom with their physical bodies. So that's the next question. Then how are they going to live for a thousand years? I think, I think the earth is going to go back to those conditions pre-flood. And how long did people live in pre-flood? A thousand years. Look at Methuselah. How did that happen? There's lots of answers. I can't get into all of them now. But one of the answers is that the oxygen levels of the earth are going to be different. Right now, you can look it up. Scientists are doing all kinds of experiments. What happens in oxygen-rich environments to diseases? I think things will go back to that pre-flood thing where people did live hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Like Methuselah. Now... Scholars believe those people will procreate during the millennial reign. Will it be those children who grow up in that kingdom that they will be deceived by Satan? Because do you know what that ultimately proves? Even in perfect conditions, the human heart is utterly depraved. So Satan's going to deceive a number of people. The Bible says the as the sea on the seashore, as the sand on the seashore, that many people. But then God is going to once and for all put an end to Satan. He's going to throw him into the lake of fire. Now, as I begin to close up, I want you to understand this, because many Christians don't know this. This will stun you if you don't know this. Did you know that hell is not for eternity? And did you know that heaven is not for eternity? See, the Bible teaches, as we're going to read right now, the Bible teaches what's called the lake of fire. The Bible says that death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. Hell, right now, as we know it, the man, the rich man, who has treated Lazarus poorly, who Jesus said, asked for a drop of water just to cool his tongue, he's not even... the he, He is in hell. He's not in the lake of fire. And heaven is not forever. We're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth forever. Heaven will one day be emptied out. And we'll live on this earth. Now, Caleb, take us quickly through what is called the great white throne judgment. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Listen to that. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Caleb, continue. This is the second death. That's the second death. And if you're born again today, you'll never die that second death. If you're not born again, you'll experience it. Continue. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. He was thrown. That ought to put a chill down every one of our spine. Let me tell you what I notice is absent when we read this passage. You know what you don't see a trace of? You know what you don't hear anything of? Grace. Because there'll be no grace at the great white throne judgment. If you're born again today, you will never stand before the great white throne because Jesus took your sins on the cross but see today if you're just a good person if you're just a decent person no you'll stand before the great white throne oh friends hear my heart today you need the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ you need his mercy today you need his grace today because Hebrews 9, 27, you have one opportunity to die right with God. One. And there's no redos. <clears throat> At this great white throne, you'll not have an attorney. You'll not have a defense. You'll not have an excuse. And my precious friend, you will never have an appeal. For it is an eternal sentence. 